<laughs> there we go. <clears throat> They're in Danny's class. <laughs> so you guys can jump ship if you want. I'm like, all right. <laughs> um, I actually tried to tell Danny that I should be in there and he should be here, but um, uh, he hasn't gone with that yet, so that's all right. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the Word of God. Thank you for the privilege it is to teach it, and thank you for Danny and his class, and I do pray that you would uh, truly help his class to uh, help people understand uh, personal eschatology and in um, you know global eschatology as well, and I just thank you uh, for this church and the dear saints that are here. That um, that it is just a privilege to be with. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> okay, so we we just finished up the um, the seven lamps at the beginning of chapter 8, so we're really on verse 5 of chapter 8, and this is the cleansing of the Levites. Um, And what have I told you, what is the relationship of Leviticus to Numbers? Or what is the relationship of Numbers to Exodus and Leviticus? Supplemental. It's always supplemental. So this this uh, chapter actually very much connects with Leviticus eight. Um, and if you would just turn to Leviticus eight quickly, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to just see a little bit of um, the connections. So Leviticus eight, beginning in verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. Assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his son, and one thing you want to see, washed with water. He washed them with water, and he put a coat on him, tied a sash around his waist, and clothed him with the robe, put on an ephod, and tied skillfully woven band of ephod around him, binding him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the urim and thummim, and he set the turban on his head, and the turban in front, set the golden plate, holy crown. Then in verse 10, Moses took the anointing oil, so now we have anointing oil, um, and consecrated them. And he, this with this anointing oil, oil He sprinkles um, 
Uh, he sprinkled some of it on the altar and anointed the altar and its utensils and basin and stand to consecrate them. And he poured some. So he pours, pours this anointing oil um, uh, on Aaron's head and anointed and consecrated him. Moses brought Aaron's sons to, and clothed them with coats, sashes. Uh, then in verse 14, he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the bull of the sin offering, and he killed it. And Moses took the blood, so you also have blood uh, with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar, purf- purify the altar, poured out the blood on the base of the altar, make atonement for it. He also took the fat that was on the entry, he goes on, uh, all this, and just know, I guess down in verse 24, uh, verse 23, and he killed it, Moses took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. So, you know, that's, you know, ear, hand, toe, obviously meaning all of him, right, um, consecrating the whole thing. Um, yeah, uh, let's see, this all takes seven days, it's a long process. So what I just want you to see out of this is that, that this is a, a cleansing of the Levites, it's a washing of them, making them holy, making them clean, anointing them so that they are ready for service. Uh, they are washed, um, there's oil, there's blood, all those kind of things. <sighs> What's coming to your mind when you start hearing all this stuff, when just cleansing? Just in our lives as Christians, we're, not, we're, we're uh, um, trying to learn how this might apply to us in the New Testament. <laughs> they went to a lot of trouble. Good, yeah. There you go. So yeah, can you see all the kind of elements of like baptism um, and maybe the Lord's Supper even in here? Is the oil... Holy Spirit? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, th- that's very, yeah, yeah, I think. Now, what about the baptism? I've heard at least one source. This relates to the baptism of Jesus. That wasn't a forgiveness of sins, but this was an anointing. Yeah, it's certainly that he, because he was baptized just before his 30th year, which right. had been right before his priestly service. Right. Yep, excellent. Yep. Um. I certainly, I see elements of water and blood. Uh, got, you're going to give to someone else? No, okay. Uh, I see elements of water and blood. Turn to 1 John for a moment. <clears throat> Chapter 5. 
Now, just maybe this, this kind of connection of the Levitical cleansing is in mind as John, and John is a, uh, from a priestly family, may have connection to 1 John 5, 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Um, now, I don't know that John is explicitly thinking of this, but, but it certainly gives you a, an understanding of coming by the water and the blood. His priesthood is not just, you know, you got the water, the blood, and the Spirit. You've got, you got this, all this working together, all of them testifying to Jesus Christ as your, your Savior, your High Priest, those sorts of things. So at least in our mindset, thinking of water and blood is not, they're not like two separate things. They're, they're, they are very much a part of this overall cleansing and making us holy. So questions or comments on that? This is a, it's a loose connection, but I do think that there's something here um, about the Levitical priesthood, the fact that the oil is poured out upon him, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon his people. Those sorts of things um, are very helpful. Uh, I don't want to make too strong of a connection, but anybody that says that you have to be fully immersed or you're not really clean, um, the, the uh, washing and the sprinkling and the pouring, it seems like all of those elements are just brought together and that the, the actual mode is not the most important thing, but it's just um, uh, God's cleansing of his people so that they can be in in this case serve before him as a high priest so any other thoughts or questions on that before we move into the numbers eight okay numbers eight it's supplemental so it's not going to go it's expecting you to already understand what's in uh, Leviticus 8, but let's take our time. Let's read verses 5 through 14. Uh, we have a volunteer to read. All right, Gina wants to read. Nathan. The Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> Take the Levites from among the other Israelites and make them ceremoniously clean to purify them do this, sprinkle with water of cleansing on them and have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes and so purify themselves. Have them take a young bull with its grain offering of the fine flour mixed with oil. Then you are to take a second young bull for a sin offering. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting and assemble the whole Israelite community. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord, and the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. After the Levites lay their hands on the heads of the bull, use the one for a sin offering to the Lord and the other for a burnt offering to make atonement for the Levites. Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and then present them as a wave offering to the Lord. The next one, 
14 as well or not? Yeah, read 14 as well. <clears throat> In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites, and the Levites will be mine. Okay, so um, there are a lot of steps to the cleansing that are given here. Similar ones, uh, but some things added. Sprinkling with water to purify them. Shaving their entire body. Uh, washing their clothes. Washing themselves. They have uh, burnt offerings, sin offerings. Um, uh, there's the, the laying the hands on the priests. Um, there's a wave offering, meaning like you're lifting up of, of the, the uh, Aaron and his sons as uh, set apart for the Lord, all those kind of things. Um, uh, so why do you think in a, in a, as a supplemental material, we are given sort of a repetition, maybe there's some extra little details here and there that are, that are helpful to us, but why do you think that we're given an entire new statement of the setting apart of the Levites here in Numbers when it's really already been done in Leviticus? That's the question. It's not immediately, it's not like right on the text. It's not just right there, but there's got to be a reason for this. They're bringing this up for a, for a real reason. Okay. Any guesses? It's important, so it could you be showing the importance? Good, Lee. Maybe the whole Levites. Okay. So there is going to be a, you're on to something here that um, the Levites as a whole are set apart, and then within them, are Aaron and his sons. So you got the Levites, and then you've got the other tribes. Can you see that there is a, there's an increasing level of importance, right? Right? So these people, most important, these people somewhat less. These people somewhat less. So how do the people who are less important going to feel about the people that are more important? How should they feel or how do they feel? How do they feel? We can, I'd like to hear what you say on how should they feel, but how do they feel? Well, turn over to chapter 14. Well, actually, let's see here. Let's do this correctly. Turn over to chapter 12 first. Because there's actually maybe even one more inner circle, at least at this beginning, and that's Moses. So, because Moses is the one that really, he's the prophet. He's, he's, Aaron is going to function as the priest, but Moses is the prophet, right? I mean, he's the one that, that God speaks to. And in verse chapter 12, what do Miriam and Aaron do? 
They oppose Moses. Is, does God only speak through Moses? And they, they oppose. Now, um, and, um, and I'm, I should have it written in my notes, um, but the same thing happens um, with them, and I, I'm trying to, I should have this written down in my notes, but, they, but the Israelites do the same thing about Aaron and his sons. They, they then rebel. Well, I guess it's Korah's rebellion, right? It's Korah's rebellion. Chapter 16. Um, and, and what are they doing? Korah is the other tribes of the Levites, and they're rebelling against Aaron and his sons. So there's a sense of... Uh, an unwillingness to accept God-appointed leadership resides in the hearts of God's people. It's a big issue. And it's one of the huge issues throughout the rest of the book of Numbers. So my, my thinking is that, uh, and, and by the way, Korah's rebellion actually brings in the other tribes as well into that rebellion, so it's not just the Levites, he's bringing in other tribes, and they're all saying, are we not all God's people? Are we not all God's priests? I mean, truths that are real, they're real truths, right? I mean, they're, they're not lying, and God did speak through Aaron, God did speak through uh, Miriam, and so, but this idea of jealousy and unwillingness to submit to God's appointed authorities is 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 it's like embedded in the hearts of us as God's people. It's really hard, and so I think Numbers is just reiterating. I think, as Lee's saying, for importance, reiterating that okay, I chose the Levites, I chose Aaron and his sons, I chose like he, it's laying out these things, so it will be the foundation by which you'll understand ongoing grumbling and rebellion in the hearts of God's people and unsubmissiveness. And God is, as we go through this, God is going to take very personal, he's going to say their rebellion is not against Moses, not against Aaron and his sons, not against Leah. Their rebellion is really against me. Okay? It's really interesting. It, that's right. So, for those of us who read very quickly through the book of Numbers, uh, you know, because you're skimming a lot of difficult things and things you don't understand, that's not a bad thing, because really, this passage here is, is really about setting up the rebellion and unbelief that's going to take place in the book of Numbers. That's really what's happening. Yes? Um, is there ever a rebellion against the Levites as Levites? Because they're set up as servants of the temple, but is there like was there a group from one of the other tribes that rebelled against the because the Levites said we're just as special as as Aaron and his sons? Well, I know that I know that Korah's rebellion does include the rest of the Levites that like they bring in the other tribes, but I don't know that there's a there is a I mean there in all of the tribes are grumbling against Moses. Whether or not they're just grumbling against the Levites, that's a good question. You know, I don't know.
Do you remember where that is? Judges, okay. Mm. Yeah. Very good, Carrie. <clears throat> All right, so let's just let's keep going because I, I, I think once you kind of get the big point, uh, you can see this. So I think in the very first section here, this is uh, largely speaking about um, uh, the Levites in general. Now we're going to read 15 to 19, uh, and this is just going to reemphasize how important the Levites are to God in his eyes. So who's got... Yeah. This is back in number 16, verse 9. Well, I'm going to start at 8. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him and all the brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. I mean, it's exact, you, keep your, you can read this next section, Lee. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we're saying, right? I mean, and that's, if I hadn't been reading ahead and studying, like I'm somewhere around 17 right now in my studies, um, it, you don't just, oh, well, okay, that's why this is here in this section. They're, they're actually, there's a reason why they reiterated this separation of the Levites and the, particularly the Aaronic priesthood um, because it is connected to the rebellion of God, okay? So, okay, keep going, Lee, 15 to 19. And after that, the Levites shall go in to serve at the tent of meeting when you have cleansed them and offered them as a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the people of Israel. Instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of all the people of Israel, I have taken them for myself, for all the firstborn among the people of Israel are mine, both of man and of beast. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated them for myself. And I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the people of Israel to do the service for the people of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement for the people of Israel that there may be no plague among the people of Israel whom the people of Israel came near, come near, when the people of Israel come near the sanctuary. Very good. Okay, so, so why is it, in your own words, why is it that God actually uh, takes and sets apart a one tribe? Why, why does he do this? Okay, so yeah, I mean, just the just the whole um, tabernacle worship—it's it just this is what is needed to make it function. Okay, but but in this, it, he equates the Levitical priesthood to the firstborn in Israel. So what's the, what was the message in the book of Exodus, 
remember, you're reading Numbers, you're supposed to remember Exodus, where, where God makes this, I mean, it's fascinating to me, God tells Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, all your firstborn are going to die. He could have just said, you're all going to die. You know, so he says, you're firstborn. And then, to top it off, he then doesn't give an exception to his own people. I mean, he's, he's going to take their firstborn if they don't have the blood, right? So, so what is God, like, what is he trying to get across connecting the firstborn and the covering of the blood with choosing the Levites? Ken? Do we not consider Christ as the firstborn? Um, he's not really born. I mean, he's, but... Firstborn means to be uh, first over, like... Uh, the one who's given precedence over. It can mean firstborn in terms of actual, right? But it's also to be first in precedence. The firstborn over all creation is Jesus Christ. So that kind of, so you're, you're absolutely right. That's what I'm, I'm just agreeing with you. So um, the, the, uh, the firstborn um, genet- like birth order does have significance throughout all Israel, right? I mean, that's, they, they're the ones with the inheritance, and Jesus also is given the inheritance in that sense. He is the firstborn of the new creation in that sense. But, uh, so yeah, firstborn. But, but even more so than, than, and it does all point to Christ. Yes, it does. But even prior to that, just the idea of um, the, the Passover... Does not the Passover connect these two things? So what he's saying, okay, if, if Egypt and Israel are both uh, liable to the firstborn being destroyed, right? They're, 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 there's not like a priority to Israel, right? They're both, you know, susceptible to being crushed under God's judgment, right? So is he not teaching to his people, you are no better than the Egyptians? You too must be cleansed, right? I mean, is that not the the message to them? Don't think that just because you're an Israelite, you're better, but that you must be cleansed, Uh, you know, throughout history, some people have thought that because your children are baptized, they're better. They're somehow inherently clean. I would say this is the exact opposite message. The fact that you have to baptize your children is a, is a necessity that they are not clean and they could be judged like everybody else. It's like the exact opposite. You're saying that they must be cleansed by God in order to be in his presence. So, and the, and, and God, instead of... Uh, uh, just taking the firstborn on a regular basis every generation, he says, I am going to substitute this principle that everybody is, is guilty before me, and if you want to belong to me, you have to be cleansed. He's going to take that, and I'm going to use the Levites to do that. So he sets up the whole Levitical system trying to help God's people understand that they need to be clean if they're going to be before him. Pretty amazing. And it's a gift to them. Now, think about what the people did. 
they immediately thought that those who were set apart as this were more important. That's not the point. The point is that you're all, all, it's like pastors aren't more important. Just happen to be the ones that God has set apart to be the teachers in the church and the preachers. They're not better. They're not more holy. Come to God in the same way that you do. Right? I mean, we're sinners, we, we fall short, all those kind of things. Um, but God has just established it. He set it apart for the purposes, yes, practical purposes, but also to be this, the ones to communicate the, God's message of the need for cleansing. Then, if you understand that, then you understand this larger Levites with Aaron and his sons. And what does he say that the Levites are supposed to be to Aaron and his sons in verse 19? They're gifts to the Levite, to, to Aaron and his sons. They're working together, right? I mean, it, it's, we're functioning as a whole. Not about who's better. Not about someone being more important. I mean, why do you think the book uh, of um, Numbers will show us the depth of Aaron's son's sins? Right? I mean, it's just... Um, as a whole, we all need Christ, ultimately. That's what's going on. And it says they're for atonement, so they're actually there to benefit the people. And the people don't like them for that. That's is. right. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, now let's, it's interesting. Let's read verses 20 and 22. Nathan, if you'll just read that for me. This is probably one of the few uh, good uh, statements in the book. That Israel does well. Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord and made atonement for them to purify them. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, I, I really, after studying numbers more, I really think that this is, I don't want to be careful, it's almost ironic humor. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, and they did everything they were supposed to do. And, and they do, kind of like technically at the beginning here, they, they do do the, the format of doing it, which is good, because God is setting up his people to be this is the way it's supposed to be, the ideal. But if you read the rest of the book of Numbers, you just go, this was not really, their hearts weren't in this. They, they weren't really uh, accepting God's uh, standards. The, all the jealousies come in. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah, <laughs> a broken clock is uh, right time twice a day, right? I mean, it's just, uh, so... Yes, and, and really, is the, 
Which is more important to God? The attitude of ongoing appreciation and submission or the, the initial conformity? It's kind of like they did everything in the wedding ceremony, ceremony just like they should have. And the marriage fell apart, <laughs> right? It's like the marriage is more important than the wedding ceremony. Uh, and yet they do it here. You know, they, they are... Uh, hearts as right as they could get them it just it is the inconstancy of our hearts uh all of our hearts that without the constant support of the spirit we're it's very similar to in the book of exodus where the whole congregation says we will do everything that the lord our god commands it's Uh, like those who get their kids baptized and now they're saved yeah yeah we're good to go yeah we're good to go Okay, 23 to 26, uh, somebody else want to read? There you go. Is it 23 to 26? Yeah. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites, men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of, of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they, but they themselves must not do the work. This, then, is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. Okay, I'm ready to retire. <laughs> um, just observations or comments or questions about this. amount of the uh, sacrificial work that had to be done. Uh, we, don't, we don't watch very often uh, butchers, but I remember uh, growing up in our little town and there was a meat market there and you could go in, we always got our meat from the meat market and you go in and you could just watch them back there, you know whole beefs hanging in the back and, you know, cutting off. And it, it, it definitely is a, takes a lot of strength to do that. So, yes. Okay. Great observation. Unlike being a pastor, you just stand and talk. So you can go longer. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so 25. You could be in the Army at age 20. So a little bit older, you know, that's a little more maturity. It's good for us to have an order, order of things. And, you know, just uh, it strikes me now when I'm coaching soccer and the kids call me Mr. Ramazzini. You know, <laughs> it's just, it just feels good. And at the same time, it feels like, shoot, man, I'm getting older. <laughs> but just in order, just in general. Oh, oh you said older, not order. <laughs> older, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. He meant order, okay. There you go. Okay. Um, turn to uh, 1 Chronicles 23.3. 
read that and then give me raise your hand if you have a question or a con- uh, conclusion. Twenty-three, three. First five years are in seminary. <laughs> Read that for us, uh, Emmett. The Levites, thirty-three years old and upward, were numbered and totaled, and the total was thirty-eight thousand men. And I had thirty years. Do you have thirty-three years, or just thirty? Thirty. Okay, good. Yeah, but anyway, it's a change, right? So it's a change from 25 to 30. Um, Interesting. Some people theorize that maybe they said they weren't mature enough at age 25, (laughs) need to be a little bit older, I don't know. Um, But it is interesting that that two different texts have a different bottom age limit. Um, Uh, look at First Chronicles twenty three twenty four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to read that? Yeah, go ahead. These were the descendants of Levi by their families, the heads of families, as they were registered under their names and counted. Individually, that is, the workers 20 years old or more who served in the temple of the Lord. So there you go. (laughs) What do you do with all this? I don't know. Is it 25, 30, 20? Like, what's going on here? Um, It does seem to be consistent that 50 is the upper age limit. Uh, So. I don't see in either of those there's an upper age limit. No, no, but I just, uh, I don't... I, it's consistent because it's only mentioned in one, one place. Well, I think it might be mentioned in, in other places. places, too. I just didn't... I, I was bringing forth the passages that showed the differences. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just so you could see that. I mean, you could go your whole life and not really see those differences, right? I mean, uh, not really paying attention to that. But it's good that they're there. Someone will probably bring it up to you and say that, see, the Bible can't even get it straight. I would argue that... that um, there is some leeway. There is some practical issues going on. Uh, the principle is not necessarily the set age itself, but there's a principle about it. Um, so I don't. I don't know exactly. Um, Mike, um, at some point there was a tax placed on all the like the, all the Levites that were a certain age and older, but they were a whole lot younger than 25. Um, one when, one month. Yeah. But that's, um, that's in regards to the Levites being set apart. Right, exactly. In, 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 um, As they're, they're taking the, the number of the firstborn in Israel, and the Levites are, are a replacement for that. So they had to know exactly um, the number of firstborn. So, and they're, they're, it's, yeah, it does have to do with the tax issue and whether or not, um, if you had more Levites than you had, Firstborn, that'd be okay. But if you had less Levites than you had firstborn, then you'd have to actually pay extra to to pay for them. So uh, to make it all even. Um, okay, so I don't have all the answers to twenty, twenty-five, and thirty. So if you guys figure that out, that's. I just want to let you guys know it's there. It's a little bit confusing to me. 
Uh, I do think that the upper age limit, 50, has something to do with uh, uh, strength. But I have another theory as well. I think, this is just Mike's musing, God doesn't like to have uh, visible signs of illness in his presence. He doesn't want to have signs of death in his presence, unless it's a sacrifice. Uh, He doesn't want blemishes of any kind on any of the sacrifices. Um, Aging is a sign of the curse. And it's not, it's not crazy to me that God would say, I do not want the signs of age in my presence. Now, again, all this needs to be put into context of the New Testament, where Jesus goes to the infirm. He touches the infirm. He heals the sick. He does all the, he brings the leper into his presence. So, so it's not that God is, is completely shutting out like all these people, oh, you're done you know, John, you got white hair, you're out of here, that kind of thing. It's, it's that God is showing to us, I think, consistently that every aspect of the curse must be removed if we are going to have complete and full fellowship with our God. Yes, Ken. Uh, just on that thought, um, Aaron was in his 80s when he was consecrated priest, and... Um, all of the Levites had that restriction. Is I don't think there's anywhere that the priests have that restriction on fifty. Well, Aaron and Moses are all exceptions. I got that. I don't, I don't, yeah. So I mean, in in the fact that his sons do a lot of the serving anyway, Aaron is there at the beginning. There's no doubt, but um, but I think God's setting his standard moving forward uh, and. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be cleansed before you come into the presence of God. God just met with Moses, right? I mean, he, so at the beginning of a lot of these things, God just does it because he has to do it. He, you know, it's there. But God's setting up a pattern for us to learn the theological lesson moving forward. And I think that's, that's how I would try to answer that. It's a good question, Ken. Yeah. Oh, that's, ooh, that's a good, yeah, I mean, he just says, before Abraham was, I am, and then they say that you're not yet 50 years old, so um, I think that's the context of that, but still, um, uh, I mean, you can maybe have a loose connection to the, that Jesus is ageless, you know, he's the eternal high priest, you know, those kind of things, so, yeah, um, okay, Numbers chapter 9, one through five, you can give that to Miss Melissa Lee, <laughs> one through five, nine, one through five, one through five. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it as its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, 
you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So the people of Israel did. Okay, so again, if you want to really know about the Passover, you would go to Exodus 12. We don't have to go there right now. The entire chapter of Exodus 12, it's a long chapter, talks about the Passover, the original Passover and the setting it up as, as uh, uh, coming up out of Egypt, who that was. Um, and in the book of Leviticus 23, um, it also talks about the, uh, the Passover as well. So everything that we have here, again, is supplemental. And I would say that the focus, again, is on the fact that they did everything just as they were supposed to do it. It's going to be very short-lived. Remind, like, okay, here's God's people. They're sitting in Sinai. They are being made holy, and they are to be a holy army moving forward. He is setting them up. He's getting everything in place so that this is like... um, if you're going to go into war, you do all the staging set up, get all those extra supplies you're going to need, you're getting everything ready, everybody knows their, their tasks, and, and everything's ready for them to move forward, and where are they going to go, ideally? Promised land, right? That's where they're going to head in. So the idea is that if you want to get into the promised land, Things have to be made right, and you're going to, in faith, submission, obedience, you're going to go into the promised land. So that's what's being set up here. God's setting everything up for his holy army to go on in. Uh, if you know, and the Passover's a part of this, um, and, and you get to uh, verse chapter 11, and and they're already complaining. And then uh, you get to chapter 13, and they get to the edge of the promised land, they send the spies in, and they rebel. So like it's, everything looks good here, we're all set to go forward, and then everything just collapses. It's like the whole plan falls apart. So, but that's what's, I think what's happening here at the beginning with the re-mentioning of the Passover. It all, it all is going well, looking good, um, and, and that's what's happening. Okay, so let's go on 6 through 14. Try to go relatively quick through here. Erica, you want to read? But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonial ceremonially unclean on account of a dead body. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day and said to Moses, We have become unclean because of a dead body, but why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? Moses answered them, Wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites... When any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or are away on a journey, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. They are to celebrate it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. They are to eat the lamb together with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. 
They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if a man who is ceremonially unclean, or ceremonially clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, that person must be cut off from his people because he did not present the Lord's offering at the appointed time. That man will bear the consequences of his sin. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must do so in accordance with its rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for the alien and the native-born. Okay, so here, you know, it's all nice and fine to say, okay, everybody's supposed to celebrate the Passover, but then you just have some practical problems, right? I mean, people die, and they die unexpectedly. Be nice if God just kept them from dying on the, you know, the 14th day, you know, nobody dies during that period, but they still die, which again is a reminder that whether you have the Passover or not, you live in a fallen world. This is, life is not ideal. It doesn't always fit the picture, right? Um, And so it's just, it's just a reminder that life is life. And so God has this ideal, his holy army moving in, everybody functioning well. Oh, uh, there's some sick people, you know. Uh, and I, I love reading war books and Civil War and stuff. And, you know, you always have, the, you always have the, the, the strength that you're supposed to be at. And then the army's always like a lot smaller than that because you got sick people and, you know, injured and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's what's going on here. It's, it's an imperfect situation. Isn't it interesting that Moses doesn't know what to do with this? He's like, I'm, I don't know, you know. What do we do with those people? Are they, are they, you know, you have the Stonewall Jackson perspective. If they fall off to this wayside, leave them. Just keep going, you know, forget them. They're not a part of it. Or you have, you know, someone else might be thinking, no, we should all stop the whole army and make sure everybody's there together. You might never leave, right? You may never get out of Sinai because you always have these people who can't celebrate because celebrating the Passover is what makes you clean and holy, right? You can't be a part of God's army if you're not clean and holy, so they can't celebrate, and they come, and they say, Moses, what do we do? You know? And um, so Moses then goes in and inquires of the Lord, which is something we would love to be able to do, right? Yeah, just go in. And, but in what God would say to us today, well, I've given you all these examples in the Word. Think about them. Study them. You know, figure them out. Uh, but uh, here we are. He goes in and inquires of the Lord, and what does the Lord tell him? You can postpone it a month. So what does that tell you about, about the, the Passover itself? What does it tell you about God? Let's start either one of those. What does it tell you that God says you can postpone this a month? Ken? I was thinking the, he knows that we are dust and he knows that we live... We, we can't do everything we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so he makes provision. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find myself wondering, because the Passover, you're supposed to have enough people gathered together to eat the whole little lamb. Um, if there's just a couple of people who were on the journey, I, can some of the people who celebrated it last month come and help fill out the number? <laughs> I would say that you're, maybe your whole household, if, you, if it's a dead body, maybe your whole household would be kind of exempted and you would celebrate it later as your whole household I don't I don't know that's just a guess so um okay 
So what does it tell you about the, the actual timing of the Passover? It's not that critical. I mean, it's there symbolically to remind us of coming up out of Egypt, but it's not the date that matters, right? That's the, ooh, I like that. He would rather you do it according to his, his standard, not just you know flippantly, but that you would do it than just, I can't do it perfectly, so I'll, I'll just exempt myself. That's great, great, Melissa. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on that? What about the stranger? <laughs> yes. The, there's not one rule for Israelites and another rule for sojourners. That's interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> this they <laughs> That's <laughs> Now, even though God makes allowances, you know, Leanne's not in church last week because she went to go visit her, assuming she probably did go to church down there, yeah, okay. <laughs> but Leanne's not in our church last week, <laughs> so um, let's go do an investigation, see if we need to bring Leanne up on charges, no, um, she's, she's away, you know, she, she whatever, um, but... What about the Israelite who purposely chooses to not be a part of the Passover for no good reason? That's an interesting thought, right? So God is very um, uh, considerate to our weaknesses, to our failings, to, but he's not real happy about purposeful, eh, forget. And mind you, this is not just forgetting the, this is not just forgetting the external right of the Passover. Uh, we, Danny uh, Beck was big on this during our examinations of elders and deacons. But you, whenever you have a sacrament, and a sacrament is like a, it's, an, it's a holy ceremonial action. You know, that's what it is. But the, but the sign... And the reality are are like so closely united. There's like a there's like a cord, a bond between the sign and the reality, such that it it always remains a sign. It's not the reality itself, but the reality is so closely joined to it that when you when you nix the sign, it's like you're nixing the reality as well. And I think that's going on here. I mean, ultimately, could you theoretically think to yourself, oh, I am trusting in the blood of the Passover lamb, but I don't really want to go to the Passover celebration. You could theoretically do that, right? I mean, that that could happen. Uh, We have that happen in our own day a lot today. Oh, I trust in Jesus. I'm trusting in him, but I don't care about church. That can happen. But But God connects the sign and the reality so much that if you purposely reject the sign, it's like you've rejected the reality and therefore you're cut off from his people. You see how that works? Um, God doesn't say, oh, that's that's just the sign anyway. He doesn't doesn't say it that way. It's like you've, you've, you've dissed what I've told you to do, the means that I've provided. It is a form of rebellion. 
And that's the point of a lot of this in Numbers. God is very kind to those who fall short in the midst of just imperfections in life and whatever, but he doesn't like this purposeful rebellion or rejection of his one means of redemption. All right, let's finish this little section here. Uh, 15 to 23. Uh, Bridget, you want to read? On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days at the Lord's command. They would encamp, and then at his command they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. As the Lord's as the Lord's command, they set encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. Okay. Very simply, the, the pillar of cloud has two primary purposes in this passage. What are they? To tell the Israelites when to stay and when to go. So we're going to say command, right? God directs, he leads, he commands his people. That's the issue. What's the other one? Presence. Presence and command. And we need both of those in our Christian life. We need to be assured of God's presence, that we're not alone, that we're protected, that we're not forsaken. And, and, and this will have incredible effects as, they are, as the army are going to go into the promised land because they are to be trusting in the presence of God to deliver them, right? So the presence is very important. Uh, in, in our sermon today, I'm going to bring up uh, Abimelech recognizes that your God to Abraham, he says, your God is with you. And that is that idea of presence is so important. As, as believers, we need to understand that God is with us. And this pillar of cloud was a symbolic way of God establishing that his presence was continually with his people. Okay? At the same time, you don't just have God's presence and it's just like this ethereal thing, oh, we just feel really good about God's presence but we don't have God's command. Isn't it interesting how the command and the presence are united here? You can't have one without the other. So, so God actually can command his people as he wants to, to um, do that. And, and 
just the idea is that God is your ruler. He is your Lord. You cannot accept him as your Savior and not accept him as your Lord. Do we rebel? Yes, we're going to see that in Numbers. But the reality is God is Lord, and he is bringing you to a greater and greater obedience to himself. That's, that's what's happening. Okay, so we are close to um, chapter 10. Just look there. We're, we're going to do that next week. But chapter 10, they have the trumpets, so they're going to have to have the trumpets uh, leading the people, and then you see halfway through the chapter, Israel leaves Sinai. So everything up to this chapter 10 has been getting the army ready to move forward. That's where we are. Okay? <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for parts of it that we don't fully understand, um, but thank you that we can understand enough of it to be blessed by it And thank you for being with us, uh, being our ever-present God, who's not um, distant and away and uncaring, but you are the God who is Lord, and you deal with our stubborn rebellion. And I pray, Father, that you would help us today to to worship you, Um, cleanse us by your Spirit. Let us come to you by the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. See how quick we're flying through the book of Numbers?